brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Internets, welcome to SoftRep Radio. Now I can already hear what you're thinking. Who the hell is this guy? My name is Alex Hollings. I am notably not Brandon Webb, nor am I Jack Murphy, but my name and my voice may sound a bit familiar to you if you are a longtime listener. I have been a frequent guest on this show over the years. I also was the senior staff writer at SoftRep.com and I continued to work there. I'm still a writer for newsrep.com, but I'm also the managing editor for our sister site at The Loadout Room, loadoutroom.com. If you're not familiar with my work from there, you may have also seen my work in Popular Mechanics. I'm a frequent contributor there and some other places around the internet like Business Insider, We Are the Mighty, and just about anybody else that talks about warfare or how we go about doing it. I am, however, not a special operations veteran. And that's why I was reluctant to take this show on when when Brandon asked if I could step in for an episode while he's out traveling the world as Brandon is wont to do. I'm not a soft guy. I am not a Green Beret or a Marsoc guy. I am a Marine veteran. But for the most part, nowadays, my claim to fame is really my defense technology and my foreign policy analysis work. And that's what we're going to be doing in this week's episode of Soft Rep Radio But let me stop you now if you think that it's going to be really boring. I promise you it's not going to be that boring, in particular because the way that I want to frame today's discussion about defense technology is on all of the headlights, all of the headlines, excuse me, that you have heard recently, seen recently, pertaining to UFOs, unidentified flying objects, or as people tend to refer to them nowadays, UAPs, or unidentified aerial phenomenon. Now, about a year and a half ago, the New York Times broke a story about ATIP, which was the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, which was a secret program operated by the Pentagon that was investigating reports from within the defense community of these unidentified flying objects that pilots and other service members were seeing in the skies. Now, ATIP, or whatever you may want to call it, because there are a few names out there and it's always subject of, of debate online, is right now at the center of a controversy because the Pentagon has said that Luis Elizondo, the guy who went on to join To The Stars Academy with Tom DeLong, was not at all affiliated with ATIP while it was operational. This is something that I find believable, honestly. I don't think that that means Luis Elizondo uh, knew nothing or had nothing to do with the investigations. I think that because funding was cut off in 2012, there's a solid chance that Elizondo was championing trying to get funding brought back after 2012. He was probably deeply involved in an unfunded manner and became the de facto go-to guy uh, for this sort of stuff in the Pentagon. That's all postulation. Uh, But what we're talking about today isn't going to be to the Stars Academy, and it's not going to be ATIP or Luis Elizondo. Instead, I want to talk about the way 
defense technology has heavily influenced the discussion and the debate about unidentified flying objects in, in American skies. And before we go any further, I think it's important that we address the elephant in the room. When we say UFO or UAP, I mean it in the traditional sense. I mean it specifically in that it's an aircraft or other flying body in our airspace that we have yet to identify. And when I say we, I really do mean the public at large, not necessarily Uncle Sam, right? So if a UFO is just an unidentified object, and it doesn't immediately mean that it's got to be an extraterrestrial object, that really opens us up to a lot of possibilities, right? And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. Not that 1% of UFO sightings that you and I and even investigators for the federal government can't seem to find a solution for. I want to talk about the other 99% of UFO sightings. These are the sightings that by and large get ignored by UFO investigators because we can explain them away. So because they can be explained away, we tend not to focus too long on them, and that is exactly how the federal government would prefer it. That 1% that may be something really unusual, maybe something exotic that's worthy of study, is certainly something that the government is concerned about. That's why we see things like ATIP. That's why we see things like the Navy recently uh, working to unveil new reporting procedures for pilots who see unusual things in the sky. I think that when we see all this stuff, that's proof positive that there is not some overarching government conspiracy trying to hide UFOs from us, which for people in the UFO community will probably piss some people off. You know, a lot of people are constantly fighting for what they call disclosure, which would be the government telling us everything they know about UFOs and potentially alien life. Depending on who you ask, some people will say that there are 12 species of aliens or 30 species of aliens interacting with the federal government. I would assume with the Illuminati and whatever else you can wrap up in tinfoil and stick on your head. I'm not a big believer into this stuff. And the reason being, the Pentagon has devoted a great deal of time and effort and money over the years into studying these unusual sightings, into investigating these reports. If the Pentagon knew what these reports were, if the Pentagon had 12 different alien species in their Rolodex that they could reach out and say, hey man, were you in Arkansas just stealing dudes from trailer parks last week? If the Pentagon could do that, they wouldn't be spending money on trying to figure out what these lights in the sky are, right? So I think while the Pentagon may know more than we do about some things, uh, chances are really good that whatever that 1% of unusual sightings are uh, really does befuddle those in power. But a great deal of the rest of the sightings, that 99% that we were talking about earlier, a great deal of those sightings could be pretty easily explained by the Pentagon if they needed to. And that's what we want to get into. So let's just jump right off with talking about how easy it is to mistake a light in the sky for a UFO, right? I think a lot of us have gone outside at night, you know, maybe you're laying in the grass with your sweetheart, having a few drinks, summer vacation between high school and college, or maybe you're 34 and you still like to go drink outside and lay in the grass like me. It's really easy to spot something out there acting erratically, acting unusually, and wonder to yourself, man, could that be a UFO? I've done it. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was watching Star Wars with my older brother and his friend, and I ran outside to grab a deck of cards out of our glove box in my parents' car. 
And I swear to God, a very low-flying triangular craft swooped right above me and made very little noise. You know, in hindsight, as an adult, I can tell you that I was watching Star Wars that night. I can also tell you that most aircraft have three lights on them that make kind of a triangular shape. And I can also tell you that at night, it's kind of tough to discern how high up an aircraft is or how far away the aircraft may be, or if one aircraft is indeed one aircraft or multiple aircraft making up a set of lights. It's really tough, even as an adult. You know, I live near Dahlonega, where Army Rangers train now, and I see Black Hawk helicopters operating at night really frequently. From a distance, Black Hawk helicopters really can seem like UFOs. They fly lower, they fly erratically, they don't follow the flight path you'd see out of commercial aircraft. So if the airplanes you're accustomed to seeing in the sky above your house are commercial aircraft, and all of a sudden a low-flying light zigzagging across the sky and then beelining it out of town appears on the horizon, I can't really blame you for thinking maybe that's a UFO. To you, it is, right? Of course, to air traffic control and to the, the military presence in the area, it isn't, right? They know that that's a Black Hawk helicopter, you know, uh, flying some training operation or what have you. And my evidence to back this up isn't just anecdotal. So a long time ago here, back in February of 2018, I wrote a story for SoftRep called, Is That a UFO? Nearly 60,000 UFO sightings compiled since 1995 show correlation between sightings and military bases. Now, I don't just bring this up to show you how bad I used to be at titling articles. Uh, that is a long title. I also bring this up because I think that this is a really important thing for those of us out there that are interested in, in the idea of UFOs and investigating defense technology, it's important that we recognize this truth when we're looking at reports of unidentified lights in the sky. So, in order to do this, what I really did was I took a map that was put together by, uh, by Adam Crahan's UFO sightings website. Now, I don't know Adam Crahan, but uh, what I do understand is that he compiled literally thousands of sightings that were reported online starting in 1995 and going out through 2014. And when he compiled all of these, he ended up being able to create a map. Using that data with little green dots on the map, you can see where UFO sightings were reported during that span of time. And when you're looking at the map like this, uh, zoomed out so that you can see the entire country, you can see that a lot of these sightings tend to bunch up. A lot of times the sightings bunch up over cities. There's a great deal of them, for instance, along the eastern seaboard and the New England area, kind of running from Boston to New York City and further south. You can also see another big bunch of them in the Southern California area near Los Angeles and San Diego. Another big bunch of them in the, the northwest up near Seattle and uh, places like that. There's large swaths of the middle of the country that, that it's a lot quieter. But then there are areas like in Nevada, for instance, where you see a great deal of sightings again. What does this tell us? To a certain extent, it tells you that there are more UFO sightings where there are more people gathered there to report them, right? Now, that, that makes perfect sense. Whether they're UFOs or military aircraft, wherever there's more people to see them, you're going to get more sightings about them. But I also think it's important to look at where these sightings bunch for another reason. Because when I created a map that showed where military installations, particularly military installations that would have either helicopters or airplanes, if I overlay that map over a map of UFO sightings, 
you'll find that there's actually a great deal in common between these two maps. You'll see that the bunches of UFO sightings often tend to happen around areas with military installations or where there's a bunch of military installations. So, for the believers out there, you may be inclined to suggest that that's because UFOs are particularly interested in the American military-industrial complex. We are, after all, the nation that first developed the atomic bomb, which a lot of people think was the inciting moment that brought aliens to us because they were worried that we finally possessed the power to destroy ourselves. To me, though, using Occam's razor, Occam's razor being the idea that the solution that requires the fewest assertions is probably right. In other words, the solution that requires the fewest, uh, what ifs, is probably the most accurate one. Occam's razor would suggest that maybe these UFO sightings tend to bunch up near military bases because the people who are reporting these sightings tend to misidentify military aircraft that are flying around. Now, I don't blame them for that. Right? As I said, things like Blackhawks are really easy to, to misidentify from a distance because helicopters fly erratically, especially military ones doing training operations, when compared to commercial flights or other things you're used to seeing in the sky. There's other good reasons, too, like military testing of aircraft that maybe they aren't acknowledging quite yet. The B-21 Raider, which is America's forthcoming stealth bomber, it is supposed to be the most stealth platform that the American military has ever produced. It's being built by Northrop Grumman right now. It's set to enter combat operations by the mid-2020s. Now, as I speak, we're sitting here on August 5th, 2019. That means that this aircraft, which right now is nothing more than a paper plane, meaning that according to the official story, the B-21 Raider exists currently only on paper. Within the next six years, they're supposed to have B-21s that are ready and able to fly combat operations anywhere in the world. That's incredibly fast, right? Think about the F-35 program, which entered initial combat operability just recently, you know, although this program has been under development forever, you know? So when you think about the B-21 Raider is really on the fast track to taking to the skies, you know, in contested airspace, it leads you to wonder if maybe there could be some tech demonstrators that have already taken to the skies. A tech demonstrator isn't always a full-size model of an airplane. Sometimes it can be a much smaller version of an aircraft that we later intend to build. So if we had a very stealthy, very secretive tech demonstrator that we were using to test equipment that we intended to size up, to scale up, and install on the B-21 Raider, it would certainly explain some UFO sightings without necessarily, it would certainly explain some UFO sightings that the public would think were UFOs, but that the government may know aren't UFOs, but are not going to tell us either way. I'm not just talking out my ass here. I'm actually working on a, an article right now for Popular Mechanics about the F-117 Nighthawk, right? Now, if you're not that familiar with the F-117, it was America's first ever stealth aircraft. The F-117 is an absolute badass in military aviation. It was operating before we even acknowledged that we had it. Now, that's pretty secretive. Northrop Grumman has done an excellent job of being secretive in this era of cell phones. It was easier to keep secrets, you know, back in the late 70s and early 80s when Half Blue was going on and the F-117 was first put into production. But let's get back to this tech demonstrator idea. Have Blue is what led to the F-117 program. We had two what were effectively tech demonstrators in the Have Blue program. 
HB-1001 and HB-1002. These two tech demonstrators were actually quite a bit smaller than the F-117, even though in pictures they look a lot like it. It sort of looks just like an F-117 except with the tail fins, the upright tail fins pointing inward instead of outward. So when you see just pictures, it's easy for you to think, oh, that's just an F-117 early on in its development. But it was actually quite a bit smaller, so much smaller in fact that they were able to use the landing gear from the F-5 which you might recognize from Top Gun as the aggressor aircraft that they used to, to simulate MiGs, and it also served as the MiG when uh, Maverick was inverted communicating. So this much smaller tech demonstrator for the F-117 flew a number of missions. The first, you know, HB-1001 through 30-something missions before it crashed. HB-1002 flew 50-something missions before it crashed. Both of them did end up crashing, but the program was still overall considered a success and went on to develop the F-117. And even today's F-35 has a, has a great deal that it's drawn from the F-117 in terms of the stealth program. Stealth is not just the shape of the aircraft. It's not just the radar absorbent coating. It's not just, you know, being careful about your IR signature. Stealth is an entire compounding set of technologies and methodologies utilized to deter detection. Stealth doesn't make you invisible to radar. It really just slows down detection and makes it much more difficult to get a, a weapons-grade lock on an aircraft. The F-117 could absolutely be picked up by some bands of radar, just not bands of radar that lend themselves well to weapon, weapons-grade locks, right? Even the F-35 and the F-22 suffer that same problem, which is why you'll occasionally hear China touting that they can identify F-22s when they're inbound, they certainly can. They just can't do anything about it, you know? So, if we're talking about the F-117's tech demonstrators being quite a bit smaller than the F-117 ended up being, and incredibly secretive, you know, they were flying in the late 70s, early 80s. The United States did not acknowledge having an F-117 Nighthawk until 1988. So, for years, literally, these aircraft were in the sky. They were being operated by the U.S. Air Force, and they were being reported by civilians who thought they were seeing UFOs. This triangular-shaped aircraft in the sky in the 80s, it's all but certain, led to a number of UFO sightings. And there's a reason why triangular-shaped aircraft in the sky continue to be reported as UFOs to this day. The B-2, which came shortly thereafter, the F-117, Northrop was actually competing with Lockheed for the contract for the first stealth program, and that led directly to the B-2's development as another big, secretive, triangular aircraft that you'll see zooming around in the sky. The B-21 looks an awful lot like a B-2. So again, it could certainly lend itself to triangular sightings in the sky. Now, I'm not saying all this to say that there's no such thing as UFOs. I honestly don't know. I don't, I don't know either way. But what I do know is that if you had never heard of an F-117 Nighthawk, and it's 1987, <laughs> and you see one fly over you in, the, in a well-lit night sky, maybe against a full moon, it's not going to look like any airplane you have ever seen before. Bear in mind, in the 80s, a stealth aircraft was science fiction, practically, in the minds of most. So this weird angular-shaped aircraft, this really weird-looking airplane, so weird, in fact, that when they designed it, they were calling the design the Hopeless Diamond because it didn't seem like it would ever fly. So weird that it took four different fly-by-wire systems overlapping one another to make sure that this airplane, which they called the Wobbly Goblin, would actually fly and do what the pilots told it to do. It doesn't look like anything you would have ever seen in your life. So it makes perfect sense 
that you would assume it wasn't something that belonged to us. Fast forward now many years. Drone technology in particular has been advancing at an extremely rapid rate. So when you hear about UFO sightings over the United States, the first thing you really got to ask yourself is, okay, so is this just a military aircraft that we're aware of that's misidentified? If it isn't that, the next thing you kind of do need to have to ask yourself is, is it possible that this is a classified program? Now, I know that you might be thinking, oh, sure, Alex, rolling your eyes. When you see a weird light in the sky, you're just going to give the government the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, it must be a classified program. But getting back to Occam's razor, if your two options are, this may be a classified program that maybe I'm just not privy to, or this may be a light produced by a spacecraft created by an alien race that traveled hundreds of thousands of light years to get here, Occam's razor would dictate that it's probably a classified program. It doesn't mean that you are dismissing the idea of extraterrestrial life outright. It doesn't mean that you're also suggesting that every UFO in the world must be a classified program. But I think that more often than not, if it's not an aircraft we're aware of, it's probably an aircraft we're not aware of. There are other airplanes, too, that you can think of. The Aurora program is one that got a lot of attention in the 90s and early 2000s. It was supposed to be a supersonic or hypersonic spacecraft airplane, right? It actually bears a pretty striking resemblance to what ultimately ended up being the X-37B, which is the Air Force's secretive drone space shuttle that they launch periodically, and it'll stay in orbit around the world for hundreds of days at a time, for over a year at a time sometimes. And then it'll come in and land, and we'll snap a few pictures of it because the Air Force knows we're not going to they're not going to be able to stop us from doing that. And we'll go, hey, check it out. The X-37B landed again. I wonder what it was up to. We still don't know what it does up there. But I think that all of the hubbub about the Aurora program for years leading up to the X-37B could certainly have been informed by some leaks, maybe pertaining to it, maybe even some sightings of tech demonstrators. Hypersonic technology is another good example of this, where the United States was the leader in hypersonic technology for a very long time. As early as 2004, we were reporting really successful hypersonic test flights. Now we're behind the curve when it comes to Russia and China because they were focusing on that while we were focusing on warfare in third world countries for the past 20 years. But these hypersonic aircraft, these hypersonic tech demonstrators, again, could certainly have lended themselves to some UFO sightings. Hypersonic speeds, which are speeds in excess of Mach 5, are so much faster than we're used to seeing from commercial aircraft or even from military aircraft that even a trained pilot, even a trained military pilot who saw one of these hypersonic test flights, particularly a classified one, off in the distance, it would be really easy to excuse that person for mistaking it for something out of this world. The SR-71, which is the fastest military aircraft to ever fly, had a top speed of around Mach 3.2, which is an absolutely astounding speed. It was so fast, in fact, that they didn't even really worry about stealth because most missiles couldn't catch it. That's how fast that aircraft was. So when you think about that, that was Mach 3.2. A craft, be it a drone or what have you, traveling in excess of Mach 5, in excess of Mach 7, would look like nothing you had ever seen before in the sky even if you're a guy who's flown an SR-71, even if you're a pilot in the B-1B Lancer, you're going to see something streak across the sky under control, making banking turns at a speed in excess 
of Mach 5. And you're going to wonder to yourself, just what in the hell could that have been? Now, if we were advertising tests of, of these vehicles in 2004, it certainly begs the question, were we testing things like this prior? Maybe, maybe not. But I would certainly be willing to bet that we've tested things like this since, you know? That lends itself very much to a perfectly reasonable explanation for an unusual sighting that even if it did go reported, even if Fox News and CNN released video of these unusual lights streaking across the sky, the Pentagon is not going to make a formal statement saying, yeah, guys, we know exactly what that was because we built it. That's just bad tradecraft. You don't want to let the enemy know what you have before you're sure you have it yourself because they're obviously going to set about to work trying to find ways to counteract that advancement you've made or trying to mirror it themselves. So... When these unusual lights in the sky or these unusual sightings, uh, I, I think last year in the Pacific Northwest, there was a sighting of an aircraft that appeared on radar. The Air National Guard scrambled F-15s to go intercept. They did not get anything on visual of it, and then it disappeared from radar. It was, however, corroborated by multiple radar installations in the area. Something certainly did appear and then disappear on radar in their airspace. My immediate assumption is that it must have been some kind of an aircraft or a drone being tested, you know? I'm more likely, I'm more inclined to believe that than I am to believe the idea that it was China or Russia that managed to get something over our airspace without us noticing it ahead of time. But I could certainly see how the U.S. military might be interested in how the Air National Guard would respond, how it would scramble a response to a radar indicator off of one of their stealth aircraft, and again, to see if they would be able to get away. You know, I could certainly see that. If not possible, if not feasible, certainly possible, right? So all of this really boils down to one thing. If there are UFOs that are legitimately from extraterrestrial sources flying around in American airspace, that is a legitimate national security concern. If there are UFOs that originated right here on Earth but came from another nation, be it China or Russia, that is a huge national security concern. And that's why it's so important that we do take these sightings, take these reports seriously. And that's why I'm really happy to see the U.S. government, the Pentagon, taking them seriously. I'm glad that we spent, you know, the peanuts, I think it was $12 million or maybe it was $20 million over the span of a few years on ATIP. I'm glad that the Navy is working on reporting guidelines for these sightings, especially after things like the Nimitz encounter back in 2004. If you're not familiar with that, I highly recommend you Google it. I'm glad that the Pentagon is taking this seriously because if there are aircraft in our airspace or spacecraft in our airspace that don't belong to us, that's a threat. Even if they have the best of intentions, the fact that they can be here and we can do nothing about it is a threat. However, I think that a great deal of these sightings may well be military aircraft that we're not willing to acknowledge. Stealth helicopters like those used in the Bin Laden raid are certainly still exist and are certainly still in use. I'd imagine they were developed via the Comanche program, which, you know, was never, they didn't, they didn't follow through on actually putting the Comanche into production, but I bet you a lot of the leaps that they made technologically have been incorporated into other aviation programs. So if we know, if we know that we have classified aircraft, we know that we've got classified stealth helicopters. We use them to get bin Laden. We know that we have classified stealth aircraft. We know that in the past, we have had operational stealth aircraft that the government did not acknowledge having. If we know all this is true, and we also know that a great deal of UFO sightings tend to amass around military installations, 
I think it's certainly reasonable for us to assume that a great deal of these sightings are either us misidentifying traditional military aircraft that are just doing weird stuff, and also, to a lesser degree, classified programs that the government would not acknowledge even if we had great evidence to substantiate their presence. Just about every year, the Air Force sends a ton of C-130s and C-17s out west for, for a training operation. And just about every year, the internet and UFO reporting websites get flooded with people reporting seeing these unusual lights in the sky, these giant formations in the sky, not unlike the Phoenix Lights, which is another very Googleable UFO sighting. The Phoenix Lights, I don't think, uh, can be explained away with this explanation. But these massive formations of talking dozens of huge C-17, C-130 cargo planes always produce UFO sightings. And the reason is, is because it is weird to see a giant formation of, of huge airplanes flying in the sky at night over the American Midwest, you know? That's mind-boggling. And when you see something mind-boggling, you tend not to assume it's a normal, ordinary, everyday thing, like a bunch of cargo planes flying in a formation. The fact of the matter is, unfortunately, more often than not, that's exactly the case. So again, I really want to affirm that I'm not suggesting that there are no such thing as truly unidentifiable UFOs or UAPs, nor am I suggesting that alien life has never, will never, or could never visit the planet Earth. I would need more evidence to sell me. Now, I know a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of great UFO investigators, a lot of people who take this subject very seriously have a lot of evidence that they feel uh, is sufficient to prove it to, to me and to you that UFOs really do come from alien worlds and aliens really are here among us. But for the most part, most of the evidence that these guys have for me are stories that, you know, people with good credentials have told them or told someone, or there are documents that you can't vet formally. You can't confirm came from government sources. So, you know, you've got a lot of hearsay. You have a lot of uh, what I would call non-primary sourcing that people, you know, cite as hardcore evidence. You know, you have guys like Luis Elizondo, who now, you know, how involved he was in ATIP is subject to debate. And regardless of where you fall on Luis Elizondo, he's made some pretty, some pretty big claims about alien life. He seems pretty convinced that alien life is here visiting us on Earth. But again, without real evidence, without something that I can look at or at least confirm through primary sourcing, and I don't mean a guy said something, it's really hard for me to accept the idea that aliens are here. I'm willing to be proven wrong. I'd like to be proven wrong. And that's the reason why I take these sightings so seriously. I take these sightings so seriously because I want them to be real. I want there to be aliens visiting our planet. But thus far, I just haven't really seen anything that's sold me on that. What I have seen, however, is good evidence to suggest that the United States is continuing to work to advance and maintain the lead that it's got over other nations when it comes to air superiority. And the United States really is a nation that, that goes to war via air power, you know? As a Marine, it might hurt my ego to say that what we really rely on is air power, but it's true. Often, we try not to even put boots on the ground. We try to use ballistic missiles and we try to use aircraft to be the pointy end of our foreign policy so that we don't have to risk uh, American troops. You know, it's not very popular politically, and ultimately that's what really determines what we tend to do, right? So if America is so invested 
in drone technology, so invested in stealth technology. I think it makes perfect sense that America would have a, a number of tech demonstrators, that American defense contractors would have a number of tech demonstrators, and that there may even be operational aircraft that we don't yet acknowledge flying around uh, over the Pacific, over New Mexico, over Area 51. If you're one of those guys that decided you wanted to raid Area 51, I think that what you'd find if you survived the desert, and I don't mean because the government would shoot you, but I mean because if you've been surviving on Cheetos and Mountain Dew Code Red, chances are good you're not really prepped and ready for a multiple-mile hike through such an arid climate. But if you were able to get there and security allowed you to pop open those hangar doors, and I've known a couple of guys who did work security uh, on the Nellis test range, if you were to get there, I think that you'd be much more likely to find a very sleek very angular, very unusual-looking American military aircraft than you would be to find something that we sourced from Alpha Century. The U-2, the SR-71, the F-117, the B-2, these aircraft all underwent testing at Area 51. That's reason enough to have an Area 51. You don't need to have aliens locked in a, in a freezer to, to justify having an airstrip out in the middle of nowhere. All you need is the driving need, the desire to field new aviation technology, and the pressing need to keep it a secret from our nation's opponents, you know? And I, I think, unfortunately, that that more likely than not is what you would find at Area 51, and it's what you'd find in Hangar 18 and whatever else you may think we may be using to house alien technology. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. Do I want to be wrong? Absolutely. I love the idea that we're reverse engineering a UFO that we captured from Roswell, I just don't buy it. There are some interesting anecdotal bits of evidence to support it, but I tend to deal in hard facts. And the hard facts that I know is that of the 60,000 sightings recorded between 1995 and 2014, a great deal of them tend to happen right around American military installations. I know that the American military has made a habit of keeping advanced aviation technology a secret. And I know that today it is just as important to us as ever that we develop new technologies to counter threats to our national security, especially when nations like China and Russia are already building, although kind of crappy, stealth aircraft of their own, like the J-20 or the Su-57. You know, I think it makes perfect sense that we would be using the F-117 over Area 51 to test ways to target stealth aircraft like the J-20 and the Su-57. I think it makes less sense that we'd be flying F-117s around Area 51 to test alien technology, you know? I hope you've enjoyed this, you know, this brief interlude from soft news and from hearing from badass special operations veterans. I may not be a special operations veteran, but I am a veteran. I am a journalist, and uh, I've been a part of the SoftRep family, the SoftRep radio family, for a long time. So I hope it didn't piss you guys off too much to have to listen to me talk instead of Brandon this week. But I had a blast getting to tell you guys a little bit about something that's really important to me getting to tell you guys something about stuff that I think is really important to American national security uh, at large. World War III could feasibly happen. My prediction is that it's not too soon, maybe 75 to 100 years out, but it seems like we're setting the table in a lot of ways. You know, In a lot of ways, it looks like a new Cold War is emerging. This new Cold War is oriented more towards China than Russia, in my opinion. China's using things like the Belt and Road Initiative to expand their economic influence throughout the world in a way that America really did after World War II. China is looking to usurp the United States as the global leader diplomatically, politically, economically, and militarily. 
And if they have their way, they're going to manage to do it without ever firing a shot, right? They're going to find ways to undermine our diplomatic leadership. They're going to find ways to undermine the United States as the center of the world's economic universe. And in doing that, they're going to redirect power towards them. And when that starts to happen, conflict may well arise. And if conflict were to arise, we would be looking at a very different type of warfare than the American public have grown accustomed to in the past two decades. A war with a nation like China, despite the fact that China has no real reliable means to get their troops anywhere but China, would be absolutely brutal by compared to the warfare that we've seen today. Because of that, I think it's imperative that we're constantly striving to develop new military technologies, hypersonic technologies, nuclear standoff technologies, ways to benefit the troops on the ground. When we're doing that, inherently, we've got to keep some of it a secret. If we don't keep it a secret, then we don't have the advantage. So when you hear about UFO sightings in the sky, when you hear about unusual lights being reported in the sky, ask yourself, what's the likelihood that this is a visitor from another planet? And what's the likelihood that that's John, some guy that you could have gone to high school with, who went on to become an Air Force test pilot and is now leading the way to the future of warfare for us here in the U.S.? In my opinion, I like that idea better. I like the idea of America's continued dominance well into the future much more than the idea that E.T. is just super interested in our trailer parks. So... Until next time, I hope you guys get to hear from me again at some point soon, either as a another guest host or as a guest. But, you know, please make sure that you uh, like, and so, or maybe not like, make sure you subscribe to Soft Rep Radio. I do a lot of YouTube work. Like and subscribe below the video, right? Make sure you subscribe to Soft Rep Radio. Make sure you give it a great review on iTunes. Even if you hate me, go check out some of the back catalog of episodes or listen to the newer episodes with Brandon, and that'll give you a much better sense of what you can come to expect from SoftRep Radio, but I hope that I gave you guys something interesting to think about, you know, in the meantime. And please check out thenewsrep.com to find all kinds of great foreign policy and defense technology news. You can find my work on there. Also, check out loadoutroom.com. That's where I live on a day-to-day basis. That's my day job, as they say, where you can find great gear reviews, great outdoor adventure stories, survival tips, and just about everything else under the sun. I really can't recommend those two websites enough. And uh, by all means, find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash alexhollingswriter. You can find me on Twitter at alexhollings52. Or you can swing by alexhollings.com and you can find my author pages on all sorts of websites like Popular Mechanics and others in case you're interested in reading about my work on the Apollo program or their Badass Plane series. I recently wrote about the F-14 Tomcat, the B-1B Lancer, And as I mentioned before, I'm working on a piece right now about the F-117 Nighthawk that'll include some bits and pieces about, uh, you know, their secretive development uh, era, right? So keep looking at the skies, keep wondering what you see, be critical, and I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.